0: One of the joys of Ann and I, uh, having moved to Madrid uh, over a year ago, and being with you, and being with you, and, and experiencing the different flavors of the, of the worship, even from around the world, and us coming together, and I'm so sorry I missed the event last night, and we were with family, and had people had flown in, and we were around experiencing some things uh, in other parts of the, of the country, but... Um, Getting to be with family and getting to tell our stories and getting to not just hear their stories as far as the grandchildren, but to, um, I would say, live into their stories and and see them as they're growing and just the, the delight of being with family, having that togetherness. Uh, Here is the uh, ones who came in this week from Tennessee, Rob and Melinda sitting over here, my niece and her husband, and so we're delighted that they're here being in Madrid. People want to come, and we want to spend time together, but uh, Ann and I, as we sit with the little ones, we tell them some of our stories, and sometimes they'll say, Grandpa, you've you've told us that one, and I say, okay, you're going to hear it again. You're going to hear it again. These are my stories. And if I tell them, I tell them that, hey, uh, your Nana is from Florida. I'm from Kentucky. We met on a campus in Tennessee at Lipscomb University. We met there. And I can show you the spot where we met. I can show you where we met. I can remember the event of when I met who is now your Nana. And I can tell them, and they say, oh, yes, and tell us about your first date. And I'll tell them about me dropping the ice cream cone and all of this stuff. They know the stories. I won't tell you all of that. But they know the stories, and we're living into those stories of their lives now. And that campus at Lipscomb where we met, I now teach story classes now online, and, and maybe someday we'll be back there teaching again. I don't know what the Lord has, but uh, online the story of israel the story of jesus the story of the church and and it's god's history it's it's his story and in christ listen we have muffed it you know, with, with sin, there's been this division. There's stuff all over the war, world. And David, when you were putting up last week, all the things happening, the disruptions, the wars, the disasters all over the world, we, we continue to muff it. And God's purpose, his desire and his longing is to get it all together in Christ. And here I am sitting with little Lily and one of her favorite uh, books and little videos also is who built the ark, talking about Noah, and we talk about some of the stories of God and God cleansing the earth and starting fresh and It was interesting because this week, as I was listening to a podcast of of two Jewish rabbis, scholars, and here's the, I went ahead and just took a snap of it so I could remind myself of who they were. Uh, Rabbi Foreman and Rabbi Emu were talking about where they were when Hamas started the bombardment of the, of the firing of the missiles into Israel. Where they were, and it was two different stories. And they were talking, one in New York City, one in Jerusalem, and they remembered where they were. And uh, they talked about the fact that it happened when the Jewish people were reading Pashach Noach. They, they're reading the passages about Noah. And there's the story of God cleansing the earth of the violence. And they mentioned that in the Hebrew, the word for violence is Hamas. And and he said, it's not that Hamas went and got into the Hebrew Bible and picked the word based on that. But there there was this Hebrew Hamas that covered the earth and God washed it. And they were celebrating One of them told from New York City how he went with his children. They were going to go celebrate, and he didn't feel like celebrating. And his children were excited to go celebrate at the synagogue, and he didn't feel like celebrating. But he said their rabbi did something beautiful and powerful. He was reading the passage assigned about Noah and God cleansing the world of violence. And he actually took the Torah... And he sat on the ground and invited everybody to sit on the floor with him. And he passed it around the room. And they read the scripture together. And what had typically been cliche was very real. And the other one told how from, uh, uh, from Jerusalem, he was in his hotel room and, and heard a siren And he didn't know what it was. He didn't think much about it. But there was a siren that went off. And he heard an announcement that everybody has 10 minutes to get to the bomb shelter on floor zero. Everybody in the hotel, 10 minutes, floor zero, bomb shelter. And he said they were going into the stairwell. They all get into the stairwell. And they get down, and he's up high, and he's going down, and as he goes down the stairwell, there's a jam-up because everybody in the hotel went to the stairwell. And they couldn't get to floor zero. And they later learned that that was on purpose. The The stairwell itself was the safest place in the building, and everybody was trying to get into it and down to floor zero. And they were safe in the stairwell. And they both said, isn't it interesting how what was an obstacle became the way. There was safety in the stairwell and there was meaning to the reading of Noah because of the event. That was an incredible obstacle. So I want to take that and and just plant that seed with you for a moment and share with you that we are the people of God, chosen by him, redeemed by Jesus, sealed by the Holy Spirit. I'd like us to take a moment and pray. And then I'm going to open up Ephesians and give you something of the story of the Apostle Paul and this one church in this great city of Ephesus. And how in the world does it apply to us? We have it to get today. Why would God give it to us? Uh, they had it. 2,000 years ago, and now we have it today. Let's see what he has for us today. But I'd like to pray over this and think with you a bit in Ephesus. Our Holy Father, we fall before you. We praise you this morning. Our Father, our God, our Redeemer, our Sealer, the one who is with us and within us. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray with my brothers and sisters here, we pray for peace in the world. It's not just Israel. Yes, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but it's, it's a global thing. And we pray for peace, and we pray for the gospel of Christ to go strong and to flood our planet. And for your spirit to be strong. And if there's something that we can do, let us do that. And at at uh, at the ground level, let us be your people. Let us be united. Let us not just look at the world and clock our tongues, but be what we are to be. Be all that we can be to your glory and to your honor. But we pray for peace, and we pray over the reading of Scripture this morning. We pray over what Paul wrote to the Ephesian brothers and sisters and how does it fit for us. What do we take? What do we do? How do we grow? And how do we glorify you? Your name is holy. Thank you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And so, we're getting into Ephesus. Okay, so if we go to the site of Ephesus today, um, we're looking at the ruins. This is the library that's there. This we we would be seeing ruins of what was probably the third largest city in the world at the time, behind Rome and Alexandria, Egypt. Then you had Ephesus, a leading center of power, uh, a center of wealth. A lot of religions there, a lot of idolatry, maybe maybe 50 different gods, scholars will say, just a a lot of idolatry. But let's dive into it and think about it a little bit as the Apostle Paul goes into this great city. And hey, we're in a great city, right? Madrid? He goes into a great city, and I'm telling you, (laughs) he stirred up a few things. Uh, here is a, a shot of the amphitheater, perhaps where Paul stood when there was a, a riot that came and they took him before the whole city and the whole city was rioting and thinking he had, the silversmiths were stirring it up because he was destroying their their business. People wor- weren't worshiping the idols like usual. So, I'm, I'm saying, you know, we want to plant a lot of churches in Spain, Right? I'm saying here, what a church plant, <laughs> Eric, what a church plant. He goes in Acts 19, tells about it. There were some followers of John the Baptist there, and he teaches them. He asks them about the Holy Spirit, and he baptizes them into Christ. They had heard about John, but, they, but he baptizes them into Christ, and there's this reception of the Holy Spirit. He teaches boldly in the synagogue. What, a, what an opportunity. He can still go into the synagogues and teach people about the Messiah, uh, people are being healed uh, not simply by Paul touching them, but by garments that he wore or handkerchiefs that came from the imagine they were coming getting something that Paul had touched, taking it, and people are being healed. Things are happening in the city of Ephesus, and the people are turning to christ and there's uh, there 's this um, wave of support for the things of God and people start looking at what they're studying and what they're doing and they start burning uh, the books about magic or witchcraft or, or other things and there's this mass turn that happens and it's hurting the idol making business and Demetrius who was one of the silversmiths, he rouses people up against Against Jesus and against Paul, and they riot. And the city council, the leader of the city council, says, You've got nothing to riot about. (laughs) He's done nothing wrong. And Paul was able to leave in peace. And I say, My word, what a church plant. He goes into town, and boom, they know about Jesus. They know about Jesus. Now, he leaves there, goes to Macedonia, and part of what he's doing is, besides taking the gospel, he's gathering some money to go back to Jerusalem. There's been a famine in Jerusalem, so he's gathering up some money from churches that are willing to help in Jerusalem because of the famine. He's going to take it back to Jerusalem. And all along the route, at every stop, people are begging him, don't go to Jerusalem. And even understanding, even the prophet Agabus, who was a prophet of God, and says, no, you'll be bound if you go to Jerusalem. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. The Spirit is leading me. I know I'll be bo- I'm going to Jerusalem. So he's, he's going to Jerusalem. The ship ports at Miletus. It's about 30 miles from Ephesus. And here's a beautiful piece of the story, a very beautiful piece of the story. The ship ports. They get off the ship. Paul sends for the elders at Ephesus 30 miles away, for us it's nothing. They didn't have cars, did they? Didn't even have an Uber, you know, couldn't take the train. But 30 miles away, he sends for the elders at Ephesus. They come. He meets with them on the beach. They're praying. Could you imagine? That's what you do on a beach. They're praying on the beach with the Apostle Paul. And then this, the captain of the ship says it's time to go and look at this statement from chapter 21, verse 1 in the NIV. I love the way it expresses this. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed. Prayer, worship, I'm going to Jerusalem the ship's about to leave And they tore themselves away. It was like it was like they were one body. It was like they were connected physically. There was a, a, something that they felt, and Paul describes it as being, being torn away from them as they left. So this is the people. This is the church plant. Now, here we are. Imagine we are with them, and sometime later, Paul has gone into Jerusalem, and now he's in prison in Rome, and he's writing to this church, and we're connected. He writes to us. Imagine being there in Ephesus. And you go into a house church, and how, how many house churches were there in Ephesus? I don't know. But you go into your house church, and you receive word from whoever's leading the house church. We got a letter from the Apostle Paul. And it's being passed around from house church to house church. And we, tonight, get to read the letter. And you're reading the letter to the Ephesians. And it's not something to... Snooze over, it's not something to yawn over, but it's the letter from a dear, beloved apostle. And so we're going to look at it briefly. I want to give you a, I want to give you what I'm calling a a why and then a what. He wants them to do something. And Ephesus wasn't evidently a church that had a, a ton of problems. So unlike Corinth, he's not addressing a lot of needs that they had. But he's giving them just some strong theological teaching. It's powerful and wonderful. He gives them a lot of the why and then the what as the body of Christ. So as he leads into a typical greeting, and I'll just refresh your memory here, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the the first verse, just a, a typical greeting. But then he catches on the idea of God, and it's like an explosion of praise. From from verse four through sixteen, just massive, incredible praise. Hard to punctuate, (laughs) hard to to sometimes figure out. Now, where do do you stop this sin? It's just a flowing statement of praise as he just breaks out and bubbles over in praise. And he's not trying to be poetic. He's not trying to have fun with it. Uh, He's not trying to be pretty with it. He's just exploding with praise to God. And as he praises God, this expression in Christ bubbles out over and over And as the young man read a few minutes ago, that passage that I won't be reading again, I was just sitting here counting the number of times he said, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in him, in the one he loves, in Christ. And I think it's 12 times in those 12 verses. Something happens in Christ. Something happens. And God in his purpose, is getting it all together in Christ. And as he describes it, and he praises God, he praises God who is the Father who chooses, and the Son who redeems, and the Holy Spirit who seals. That's the flow of that intro statement as he's just praising God. Father choosing, Son redeeming, Holy Spirit sealing. And I'll just Touch on those briefly, this choosing idea. Yes, we have free will. <laughs> it's obvious, and it's, it's biblical. We have, we have the right to choose God or not, but the Father chooses. There's something powerful here. Do not deny the sovereignty of God. So, in scripture, there's this idea of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. And you say, we often draw a line and say, well, you got to be on that side or that. And they're both true. And there's this beautiful, powerful tension. God is sovereign, He chooses, and we step into it. It's incredible. My wife, Anne, chose me. It was an act of grace. She chose me, but I chose her back. You see what I mean? We chose each other. God chooses. He is sovereign. So here, when we think about the father choosing, it's the idea of this incredible sovereign creator of earth doing what he can to get you back. He chooses. And the son redeems. I remember the story that a preacher told when I was young. A story of a little boy who caught a bird, a little, little wild bird. He caught the birds and put it in a little cage. And he's out poking the bird. He's got the cage out. And a uh, neighbor walks by the sidewalk and says, What you got there, son? Well, I got a bird I caught. What are you going to do with him? Just keep him in my cage. And the neighbor says, I'll give you a dollar if you'll let it go free. Okay. He opens the door. The bird flies out, and he gets his dollar. And that was the illustration that I grew up thinking of being redeemed, of being purchased. But in the Old Testament, one of the greatest, greatest moments of redemption is God redeeming Israel out of Egypt. Think about it. The ten plagues. He's not paying Pharaoh the 10 plagues. And then, as he brings the people out, as he redeems them, as he brings them out, they end up looting Egypt in a way. Ask your neighbors for their gold and silver, and then we're going out the next day. And so they take the wealth of Egypt with them, these redeemed people, out into the desert. Redeemed. He did not pay Pharaoh a penny. He defeated Pharaoh and redeemed his people. As we are redeemed in Christ, God is not paying Satan. God is answering his own requirement of justice and holiness. He answers his own requirement, his own justice, and takes the blood of Jesus and redeems us to himself. It's a powerful Move of God. And then this idea of the Holy Spirit choosing. I mean, the Holy Spirit sealing. Um, I, I would think maybe, have you ever taken a jar lid and just screwed it on tight and you've got something sealed in and, and so we've been caught and we're in the jar, we're sealed? That's not the word. <laughs> That's not the image. It's the image of a, a stamp of an emperor. He stamps the letter, okay? Or the diploma that you might get, the, the stamp of the principal of the school, or the director of the school. It's the stamp, it's the approval, it's the mark. So the Father chooses, the Son redeems, the Son gives it all in answer to the, to the requirements of the Father and the Holy Spirit marks us as belonging to Him. And get this, here's where it gets a bit exciting. We are the objects of God's attention. We are the objects of his love. So later, chapter 3, is going to be a lot about love of God, love of Christ beyond our comprehension. We'll come back to that another time. But we're the objects, and I'm giving you some of the why of what we do. And so we are written into his story as the people of Christ. Written into his story. The Father chooses, the Son redeems, the Holy Spirit seals. And it's not over. There's the therefore. Did you notice <laughs> in, in reading the Apostle Paul, there's always the therefore. It's not just the good news, always good news and then just stop. There's always the therefore. And so in the letter to the Ephesians, there are these therefores that appear. And I'm going to touch one of the therefores and just remind you that when there's a, a therefore, you take this glory of God, the Father choosing, the Son redeeming, the Spirit sealing, and you're the focus of His attention brought back to Him. But it's not just so you can have the big head and say, I'm one of His... He did it all for me. Well, no, it's for, it's for the world. Therefore, there's the first, then there's the then. There's the indicative, what God did, then the imperative, what he wants of us and how we respond. And here's the text. And I'm going to read. I've got two. I've got the English on one side and Spanish on the other side. I'm experimenting with this. It may be too small for you to read. But we'll see if it works for today. So let me just read. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip why wait wait, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, so that we may no longer be children t- tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine in love and we're sitting in the house church and this is being read and I don't know the personalities in the room and I don't know the needs of the body of Christ in Ephesus but Paul is wanting them to get it all together and be the body of Christ and as we want to impact Madrid and as we want to impact Spain and as we want to impact the world one of the best ways we can do that is to get it all together right here. Right here, in this place. Get it together. And then push forward. And so, look at these phrases. The one and the all. I'll just look at them very briefly. We won't talk about each of these. But there's one body. There's one spirit. One hope. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God, the Father of all, over all, and in you all. And then uh, all of these, and the all is not in each of these expressions necessarily, but it's implied. And so I put up, grace is given to all. We are all equipped for ministry. We all attain to this unity of faith. He wants us to attain to that unity of faith. Joined together, held together, all the parts working together to make the body grow as each ligament. Each ligament does what it's equipped to do. So you do what you're gifted to do. When Christ ascended, when he ascended, Paul says, quoting the psalm, he says, he gave gifts. He sent gifts. He sent grace. He sent great redemption, but he sent gifts. And Paul uses that idea to say, you're all gifted. Each one is gifted. And so I ask you, how are you gifted by Christ? You say, I don't know. I say, well, come and talk to Pastor David. (laughs) No, no, I don't. But I would ask you to pray about that, to investigate that. See how you're gifted. He didn't leave anybody out. He's not that kind. You know, you're gifted by Christ to do something in the body of Christ. And we all work together because the body needs each one working together. So, we want to know this and then a couple of just things that I want to urge you to do as we close. In Christ, you're gifted, right? And in Christ, you are a minister. This is the word he uses. Pastor David is not the only minister here. We, as the body of Christ, are servants. That's the word minister. We are servants of Christ. We are ministers of Christ. Each one is a minister for Christ. In Christ, you are to serve in the body of Christ. And we've had this ministry fair a few weeks back. And there are things that are needed within the body of Christ. And each of the ministries had a table up and you could look at it and you could think about it. And you might have missed the ministry fair. And as David keeps saying, it's not over yet. Just because you might have missed the fair or didn't sign up for something, it's not over yet. You're still gifted. You're still gifted. And the body is still the body. And we still need to find where do you fit Within the body? Where do you fit within the body? Are you working with Eric in music? You see? Are you working with Sachi in prayer? You see, a vital work of prayer. Are you working in teaching? Where are you in the body? Each one gifted. So I beg you, I urge you, use what Christ has given you. Serve the body of Christ. We think about the world. We think about the global issues. There are always going to be those global issues. And the best way we can serve the world and answer the global issues is take care of the body of Christ. Build up the work of God and together affect the world. And I would say, point three, step up. Because Pastor David has too much to do to call everybody and say, you know, you'd be good at this. And Eric has too much to do. To say, you know, you'd be good at this. You'd be good at that. We, there's too much going on. For someone in leadership to have to chase you down, I don't mean to be rude about it, but chase you down and say, you know what, you'd be really good at this. You say, Yeah, but the Bible says to be humble. (laughs) And I will guarantee you that nobody is going to revoke your humble button if you step up and say, I am gifted by Christ. I can do this. May I do this? for the body of Christ. So I encourage you step up. Step into your ministry as a servant of Christ and in this body of Christ together let's make a difference to the world because our Father wants to get everything together. And how's he going to do it? He's working through us, the body of Christ.